0: He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC.
1: Hi, this is Dick Morris. It's Sunday and I'm going to talk to you about what's going on in the world. Hello, Dick. The Republican Party has become accustomed to the lopsided defeat among blacks. Ever since the blacks blamed the Republicans for opposing the Civil Rights Act in 1964, even though it was Republican votes that overcame the Southern Democratic filibuster and passed it, blacks have voted Democrat. Under Trump, the Republican vote has inched upwards from about 6% in 2012. <coughs> to 12% in 2016, to 9% in 2016, 12% in 2020. But now, under the Biden administration, there is a very, very big opportunity for a tremendous Republican breakthrough. A survey I designed with John McLaughlin, Trump's pollster, shows that the Republican Party could double its vote share in 22 and 24, from 12 percent to 25 percent, and if we get anything close to that, it's lights out for the Democrats. They'll never win another election. Our poll showed that black voters, what we did was we surveyed 1,000 black voters in the country, only blacks, and asked them all kinds of questions about their politics and didn't let on where we were coming from, so it was really a very impartial poll. Black voters feel taken for granted by the Democrats and ignored. And large numbers say that they feel less favorable to the Democratic Party than they've ever felt before. Black voters feel the Democrats take them for granted and treat them like a handicapped score on the golf course. Hmm. That is, it assumes their votes are in hand and doesn't have to do much to earn them. And listen to this two thirds of the voters, black voters, agree the Democrats have taken black voters for granted and have done less to meet their needs. And 60, 56% said they used to be more favorable to the Democratic Party than they are now. But the most important finding of this survey, and listen hard to this because it's really important, the survey found that blacks are starting to reject, reject the key narrative that underlies the Democratic appeal to blacks, Democrats make a living by reminding blacks that they're victims and that only the Democrats can be trusted to uphold their rights and opportunities. But the victimhood narrative is wearing thin. 62% of black voters, almost two-thirds of black voters, agree, agree, that too many leaders of the black community emphasize how blacks are the victims of racism and inequality rather than focus on the very real opportunities for advancement that are available to black people these days. Some blacks go even further. Half of them, 48%, and we only need 25, agreed that the Democratic Party wants to keep black, wants to keep black people poor, dependent on government programs, and united as a block vote to help them win elections. They believe Democrats want to keep the blacks poor, dependence and a block vote. So if there was ever a chance to really begin to take that vote away, this is really it.
2: You abandoned me. Love don't live here anymore.
1: That romance is breaking up, and, uh, and, and it absolutely threatens to destroy the Democratic Party. What I think the Democrats should do, and I spoke to President Trump about this the other day, is the Republicans should run ads where they have successful black men and women, largely younger, um, an a athlete, a chief executive, a, a professor, uh, get up there and say, I'm no victim. You know, I worked hard for what I've got. I went to school. I got degrees. I got experience. I invented some stuff. I passed for 200 yards. I am no victim. And really separate in the black community those who rely on the victimhood narrative and say, you guys go and be dependents on the Democratic Party because that's what you need and that's who you are. But I am no victim. You're not going to put me in that pigeonhole. Uh, I don't need your help. I don't need you to bail me out. And I think that that's a, narr- that's a narrative that could be very effective in dealing with the black vote, uh, tremendously effective. And the poll says that that absolutely is the case. So uh, I'm real encouraged about that. I think that it's it's tremendously important. Now, the uh, incidentally in the survey. We tested a variety of other issues and found that blacks want charter schools. Democrats don't, but blacks do. Seventy percent of black parents said they would send their children to charter schools if they could. Seven out of ten. And on crime, we asked voters, if you had a choice between government being stronger on crime or weaker on crime, which do you think would help the black community more? And by 5644, they said if they were stronger, it would help the black community more than it would hurt them. So, the core of the democratic advantage among blacks is the message that you can't succeed on your own in the face of white racism and need to be united as the African American community and the Democratic Party to overcome it and move ahead. This approach makes advancement dependent on politics, government policy not individual education, effort, and entrepreneurial spirit. There could not be a more basic divergence among blacks than how they treat this central thesis of the Democratic Party. Uh, Absolutely crucial and an amazing finding of this survey.
0: On 77 WABC.
1: Those are clowns on the left of me, and some of those on the right of me are jokers, and I'm stuck in the middle with you. You know, Biden has developed a solution now to Ukraine and the Russian aggression there. Give up some of Ukraine. Give them a piece of it, uh, a, a hostess present. Come on, take it, take it. I think Biden's has a super a tramp. I, said, I think Biden's a super tramp. Yeah, that's right. That's Doug DePiro, my music man and my best friend, says that uh, that that song, which is a song by Super Tramp, uh, reflects that Biden himself is a super yeah. tramp.
3: Yeah,
1: you kidding. So um, there is a lo- increasing number of people in the U.S., uh, including Tucker Carlson and Fox News, who are busy saying that you can't blame Putin, don't overreact to this. This is just another neocon effort to get us into another war so they can make more money and kill more people, and don't be lured into this. And that is such baloney. Now, I opposed the invasion of Iraq until when it turned out there were no WMDs there, and I think that was a war we did not need to fight. And, but I believe this is a conflict we need to be involved in. God knows we're not going to fight it. It's crazy to send an army 6,000, 7,000 miles away to a country that's on the border with Russia. Uh, but it, we have a lot of stuff we can do to Russia to deter them from invading Ukraine. Let me tell you something I just found out. The leading oil exporter to the United States is Canada, which sells us 110,000 barrels a month of oil. The second leading exporter is Mexico, that sends us 32,000 barrels a month. The third leading exporter of oil to the U.S. is Russia, that sells us 28,000 barrels a month. Third leading one, more than any other member of OPEC. Uh, So if we cut off buying Russian oil, that – that hits them enormously financially, right in the pocketbook. And then on top of that, we can uh, cut off their access to the swift international banking system so they can't use – they can't wire money, they can't receive money. They can sleep on their gold, but that's about it. And in all of Putin's money is in Britain in the pockets of the oligarchs who live there. And uh, they're all his guys – And he basically said, here's a billion dollars. Keep it for me. if I need it, I'll call you. And uh, if you screw around with me, I'll poison you. (laughs) (laughs) That's that big. Yeah. But (laughs) but we can cut that stuff off. And the consequences would be enormous. But instead, this idiot we have for a president stands up there and says, oh, if you just take a little bit, that's okay. Just a little bit. Uh, Hey, camel, come on. Stick your nose in the tent. But just a little bit. Ooh, I don't want bah. your whole nose there. I just want <laughs> a little bit of you. And I know you're not going to take advantage and try to put more of you inside oh, the tent. Oh, boy. This is, this is absolutely crazy. And a guy like Tucker Carlson comes along and says, look, how is, how is this different, Putin saying Ukraine can't join NATO, then us than his having Mexico join the Warsaw Pact or some Russian equivalent of NATO? What's the difference? Well, Mr. Carson, there is a world of difference. NATO is a defensive alliance. Its provisions are only relevant if you are attacked by another country. When we were hit on 9-11, we invoked NATO to have our allies rally to us, which they did, and go into Afghanistan and punish and defeat the Taliban. That's before we let them win. Mm. And, and that was a marvelous example of NATO. But if you're not going to invade someone, you're not going to run afoul of NATO. It is not an aggressive alliance. You're not allowed to invoke NATO allies to go take somebody over like Russia does. And when he says, what, we're going to put missiles in the Ukraine, that's just like our our Russians putting missiles in Cuba like we did in 1962. Well, the world is totally different than it was in 1962, 60 years ago. Sixty years ago, there were no submarine-launched missiles. A a missile that was in Cuba could be 90 miles from the U.S. Other than that, it was 6,000 miles away in Russia. Now there are submarines where one submarine has enough warheads on it to destroy all of America all of the Soviet Union or all of Russia, and it sits five miles off the Jersey Shore. Um, We're surrounded by them. And the accuracy of missiles that used to be dependent on a short distance away now is amazing. Uh, they have a, a, the, you can fire a missile 6,000 miles, and it has what they call a circular error probability of 100 feet, wow. which means that if you shoot 100 missiles, 50 of them will land within 100 feet of a point. You that's can amazing. literally that's lob amazing. it into the men's room wow. of the Kremlin. Wow. And you can do that from 6,000 miles away. You used to have to be 90 miles away to do that, and that's why those missiles in Cuba were so important. Uh, so, and, and in his saying that we shouldn't uh, send men to die in a war, nobody is proposing the use of troops. We're proposing strong, unbelievably impressive, very aggressive economic sanctions which will absolutely stop Russia from doing this. But Biden goes out there and gives away the freaking store by saying up front that it's okay if they take a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, God. Now, this was the week that the filibuster was saved by Manchin and Sinema. And the filibuster has always been a tool for obstruction, initially, of civil rights legislation. But when we see what can happen with one-party government under Biden, when he has a rubber stamp majority in both houses, and he can get away with anything in a compliant Supreme Court that isn't going to stand there and enforce the Constitution, the filibuster is the key to preserving our democracy.
4: You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too
2: much, you even worry my pet. You just talk.
1: <laughs> so the filibuster really is uh, the core of the deliberative process in the U.S. Senate. Go back to the founding of our country. The founding fathers disagreed with the French concept of democracy. The French in their revolution embraced the concept of general will. Their approach was the public and the, uh, the people of the country have a will To do something, and government has to respond to that will. It's enslaved to that will, and nothing should get in the way of that. Now, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson had a very different view of it. They said that the will is often crazy. It's often nuts. Uh, There's a mob. They go along with stuff. They decide to exterminate the Jews, or they decide to do go on an imperialist rampage. It happens. And what you need to do is build into the process checks and balances to stop that from happening. So so it's different than French. They said no checks, no balances, just the individual will. And our guys said no, follow the will but limit it with checks and balances to make sure that it's not crazy. So what they do, they have the Congress, the House elected every two years. That's directly responsive to the popular will. But they said for the president, it's every four years. So he's responsive, but, you know, he doesn't have to go crazy. And then they said the Senate is going to be six-year terms. So they are not directly manipulated and moved all over the place with the wind changing. Uh, But they're a deliberative body that can take their time and look at it. And there are two-thirds of the members are not up for re-election in any given year. So they can say, I'm going to take the longer view. And that was a very, very wise decision. It wasn't just a loophole. It's at the core of the democratic process in the United States. And, you know, they've had five republics, three monarchies, and four coups d'etats in France since the revolution. (laughs) We've had none. So I think our approach has a little bit to recommend it.
0: It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns me to
1: the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Listen to Bernie and Sid in the morning, every weekday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Here Bernie and Sid ask if the country can take three more years of numbhead Joe Biden.
0: Help, my presidency has fallen, and it can't get up. It can't get up. It's over.
4: It's already over. A year in, it's over. over. But the problem is, there are still three more years to go. Behind him is Kamala Harris. And while we're very excited about the Republicans taking back the House and the Senate in 2022, and Trump coming back to the White House in 2024, the bigger question is, are we going to last three years?
0: That's a long time. We are in trouble, is what we are. But the fact that even all the fake news, they spent a whole weekend, the fake newsers, all of them, saying that this guy, he's too old, he's done, he made all the wrong moves, he's yeah. in one disaster after another. The fake news has turned on him. So uh, yeah, where we go from here, I just don't know.
1: Well, I think that the the musical interpretation of Joe Biden is still the best. Hello, by- is there anybody in there? Just not
0: if you can hear me.
1: is there Nobody in there. Just an echo. You ain't kidding. Um, What's going on now is that Joe Biden is losing his base. Uh, The independents flaked away last year. The Hispanics flaked away earlier in the year. He now has a 40% disapproval among Latino voters. And he has a 25% disapproval among black voters. So he's losing his base. Twenty-two percent of the people that voted for Joe Biden now say they are disappointed in his performance. Twenty-two percent.
4: If you love-
0: Slip sliding away.
2: Slip sliding away. You know the nearer your destination, the more you slip slide.
1: So what happens if Biden loses his base? What happens if the black vote turns on him, like I said earlier in this show they are about to do? What happens if the Hispanics continue what they're doing and turn on Joe Biden?
0: If you leave now, you'll take away.
1: Your will, and uh, Biden knows that, and the Democrats know that. Let's go to Judith, my favorite caller in Hi, Brooklyn. Hi, Judith. Hey, Judith. Hi.
3: I didn't know you're coming through so fast. Hi, how are you? Oh, good great. afternoon to the D and D show, Dick <laughs> and Doug.
1: Yeah, right. The D and D show. I like D yeah, and D. Yeah, yeah, then...
3: like the D and D building. You know what I mean? Yep. Okay. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. I got like two things to say, uh, Dick, if I may. Yep. Number one, I was listening to you. I don't know which one to go. I'll go first one and then I'll go to the other um, about the elections with uh, President Biden with his voting rights bill where you don't need yep. any I.D., which is so ridiculous. That is a double edged sword because Republicans and Democrats can just go in and just vote a whole bunch of times. Who's to stop them? And then how does this then become an honest election in the end? You know, Yep. the whole thing makes no sense on yeah, that but, one. And the other comment, yep. only
1: one side wants to cheat. The Republicans don't cheat. Uh, they you don't. know
3: what? I got news. Dick, I got news for you. Uh, sometimes, you, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta be as smart as they are. Let's put it this yeah, way, you a, know? <laughs>
1: you don't have to be as corrupt as they are. We have a majority of the country for us. And listen, there is one way to make sure the elections are honest, and that is to elect governors in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, and Arizona. Those five states. And the governors and the secretaries of state control the election process in those states. Next week or the week after, I'm going to have a guy named Dave White on my show who uh, I'm supporting for governor of Pennsylvania. And uh, he's running against a – in the primary against the head of the Senate who wouldn't conduct an audit even though he's a Republican – and a U.S. attorney who's also a so-called Republican who refused to prosecute anybody that cast multiple votes. But if you get a good governor in there in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania he appoints the secretary of state, you're going to have an honest election. And those other states I rattled off, the Republicans now control the legislature but not the governorship. And if we win the governorship next year, this year, we're going to win the presidency. What's your second point, Judith?
3: So believe me. So here's my other question. I was listening to you about the polling with blacks. One question pops in my head. Uh, how about polling blacks as to how they feel about, quote, unquote, all whites are bad, regardless of Republican Democrats, all whites are bad. And would it be helpful to have a black woman run for vice president with President Trump in 2024? What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, your first point, I think, is really good. And I'm kicking myself that I didn't ask that. <laughs> Where were you, Judith? Yeah, we asked a 100 questions, and we didn't do that one. So, Judith, you're hired. Yeah. Um, in terms of the running with the black, I, I think that that's overrated. Donald Trump is going to run with whoever he wants. Uh, and increasingly, the vice presidency is not a way to win the election. Nobody votes for vice president. They're not fooled by that. What it is, is it's an opportunity for the president to appoint and elect a chief of staff, the vice president, with tremendous power and tremendous authority. So only a Mike Pence could pull together the whole government to deal with the vaccine in warp speed. Uh, it needed to be somebody who was that high level, that directly with, for Donald Trump, who could take that kind of action. Pence disappointed us all, and uh, he's on my bad list, but you need a vice president to do that. I know when I worked for Clinton, Gore could do things for us that nobody else could uh, because he was the vice president, and that's the criterion that uh, we should use. Biden on the – other, and Bush was the best example. He appointed Cheney vice president. He was really the acting president for his eight years Mm -hmm. in office. Uh Biden, one of his problems is he has a, somebody who's even dumber than he is oh my <laughs> as God. vice president. That's and, and that's no help to him. I mean, what do you going do? Say, uh, it, Kamala, you come in and solve this problem. Yeah, but it makes him look smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They tried that with the border and it didn't work. So uh, I'm a little off your second premise. Hey, Judith, thank you for calling. You're great. Goodbye, Judith. Let's go to Joe in Staten Island. Hey, Joe. Uh,
4: hello, Mr. Morris. Um, I just want to make two quick points. Number one, with the black vote, I think it could be turned over if we could just get out what like is happening in California and what they're trying to do in New York with legals. Yep. We have 500,000 people living in projects in the city, and they want to give 800,000 illegals a vote that would negate the black American citizens vote. And then if you look at it this way— you got to ask Joe. With 1.7 million illegals brought in, they don't have any money. So where are they living this entire year? Who's stuffing them and paying them where to live? And then you got to look at this. The black American citizen that's in the black housing projects have cockroaches, ceilings that are leaking, no heat. It's a mess. But the 1.7 and 800,000 people that we have in New York City now, where are they living? Do they get Section 8? Do they get Catholic charities? Do they get other Democrat money? The answer to those, Congress,
1: all of the above, is yes, they do, uh, and that could provoke important resentment by blacks. That's a good point you're making. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Hey, Larry.
0: Hi, Dick. Hi. You know, I'd like to say I'd like to say a simple truth. Okay, uh, everybody's criticizing the Biden administration. We, we, we don't know if we're going to make it to the next election. Let's say why he's doing this. It's very simple. Uh, It's all about demonizing one man. What did Trump stand for? Make America great again. So to tear down Trump, they have to destroy America. Instead of making America great again, they have to go in the opposite direction. Now, this is being done behind the scenes by people like Obama, because, you know, during Obama's presidency, he, his whole thing was to, to, to render America an anti-colonial power. He's an anti-colonialist. So when America is great, that it harkens back to their day as a great colonial power in, in, the, in, the, in the tradition of England and Europe and everything. Yeah. Obama wants to strip America of power, and he's operating behind the scenes. It's that's all about all. demonizing Trump and going in the reverse direction.
1: Every, everything you just said, I think, is accurate, uh, and that's a wonderful insight. Dinesh D'Souza um, wrote a book about that uh, where he explained that the anti-colonialism was the theme in Obama's life. And the only problem is America never had colonies. Uh, the only colony we ever had was the Philippines, and no sooner did we take it over than we scheduled their independence. And uh, it's so interesting. If you read uh, the new works about World War Two by Manchester, British historian, you see that uh, – Britain would not promise India its independence. So the Indians didn't fight for the British. Many defected to the Japanese, and they couldn't stop the Japanese in Asia. Singapore fell because 40,000 Indian troops defected and fought with the Japanese as opposed to with the British. But in America, the Filipinos... Fought like hell for the United States. They were unbelievably strong in standing up to the Japanese because we promised them their independence. And a year after the war was over, they got their independence. So America has made its living off being non-colonial. And I think Obama often completely disregards that. Thanks for your call, though. It was a very good thought. Let's go to Jamie in Florida. Hi, Jamie. Um, hi, Mr. Morris. Um, first of all, I enjoy your show a lot. Good. Um, but the caller raised the point about having a black uh, female vice president, and I immediately thought about Candace Owens. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you what would you think yeah. about that? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, she's she has a good resume. She's impressive. But look, you know, I know Donald Trump very, very well. And you, you don't do an arranged marriage with Donald Trump. <laughs> you don't say, right. I picked out a vice president right. for you, That's you'll right. love her, uh, or you'll love him. Uh, he's very mercurial, he's very temperamental, he has a very thin skin, uh, he has a long SHI list, and uh, <laughs> you don't want to run afoul of that. And you was- don't want to saddle him with a vice president that he hates. Uh, I don't think he's going to choose DeSantis, not that he hates him, but that he doesn't want to have a vice president around who he sees as competition. So let Donald Trump have a nice, relaxed time and meet with a lot of people and see who he really likes and really bonds with. you got to accept that Donald Trump has had one enormous failure, which is he can't appoint people he likes. Everybody who he appoints, he fires. Uh, I mean, he fired two secretaries of state, uh, he's fired his national security advisor. He's fired his cabinet again and again and again. And uh, and, and he's always appointing people who disappoint him because he is so radical and challenging the establishment and so different from the insider thinking in Washington that he appoints someone and they go native on him. Mm. That's what the British used to say. They sympathize with the colony too much, not mm. with the mother country. Interesting. And uh, he constantly is facing that. So uh, give him a chance to do this right. Let's go to uh, Ra- Raul in uh, New Jersey. Hey, Raul. Uh,
4: Mr. Mr. Dick Morris, thank you. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, you know, I think it's obvious to the domestic audience, as well as the uh, inter- the worldwide audience with the news coverage that this, you know, poor excuse for excuse of President Biden has uh, presented, he is just fumbling, is stumbling,
2: and yeah. bumbling his way into the prison. He was never very bright to begin open.
1: with. He was at the bottom of his law school class, and went to a lousy law school. Uh, and uh, you know, if you could read, you probably were. Would be able to pass it. God knows how he passed the bar. Pictures. And um, he's not very smart. And when you add senility and dementia on top of stupidity, you get some real problems. I think. Uh, But uh, I think that I think we I think we know that about him. Pretty pretty numb.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC It's Sunday and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC I how I get the let me us to the right Here I am
1: stuck in the middle with you. Okay, for the next 12 minutes I'm gonna talk about abortion. Um, I'm going to wade right into the thick of the issue and I'm going to say stuff that nobody really agrees with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Let's start with the basic fact that 80% of the abortions that are now performed in the United States would still be legal if the Texas and the Mississippi laws were applied throughout the country. 80% of the abortions are in the first 15 weeks of the pregnancy. So you have the entire left and the entire right going absolutely stark-raving crazy and opposing each other when essentially the issue has been settled by a compromise that makes sense. Those laws which deal with 15 weeks of viability permit 80% of the abortions to go ahead, some say 90%. And the left is acting like oh, my God, nobody will get an abortion. There'll be coat hanger abortions and back alley abortions. And the right is saying, uh, oh, thank God, human life is protected and saved, and we won't have to witness babies being killed anymore. You're both wrong. If you think that abortion is murder, we're going to continue to murder 80% of the babies, okay? 15 weeks viability, and that's a compromise that... I think Americans are going to live with. I think the court will ratify. And I think it's probably not a bad policy. On the other hand, the left is wrong. Nobody's going to die at the gates. Nobody's going to have to get coat hanger abortions uh, because 80% of them will be perfectly legal here. The most they're going to have to do is make up their damn mind. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, if you had unprotected sex, uh, get a pregnancy test. And uh, it'll tell you if you need to... Consider an abortion, and then make up your mind. Don't wait. This is an anti-procrastination bill. Nothing to do with abortion one way or the other. Last next line is, I made up my mind, I'm keeping my baby. Yeah. Well, you can. Yeah, and, and God knows that's admirable, and uh, abortion is horrific. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a decision people have to make. And what this law will do is to make it possible for people to make up their mind in a timely way. Now, I have been a wrinkle on this that I proposed on the station about six months ago, which is that increasingly a fetus can live outside of the womb at an earlier and earlier time in the pregnancy. Roe v. Wade established the benchmark at 26 weeks, and back then that was the limit of viability. If you were less than 26 weeks pregnant and the fetus were taken out of the womb, fetus would die now the consensus is that it's 22 to 23 weeks and most likely in a few years particularly if we redouble our research and efforts at this we can even move it up earlier to maybe even 20 or 21 weeks this opens a tremendous possibility for compromise on this issue it says you do not have two choices you have three choices You do not have the choice of bearing the pregnancy to term and having a baby you don't want versus killing the baby now. There's a third choice. Have an early birth where the baby is extracted from your womb surgically. The baby is put in an incubator. The baby lives fine and happy and grows up to be a healthy, happy citizen. And at the same time, we increase funding for adoption. Uh, we make it very possible for people to adopt, including, by the way, the birth mother if she wants to. And right now we have about 700,000 abortions in America and only 135,000 adoptions. And there are long lines around the block of people who want to adopt babies. And 40% of them, by the way, say that race is not a problem to them. They're whites who would happily adopt a black or Latino baby. Uh, but the bureaucrats and the social workers are so punctilious about it. They, it's like getting into Harvard, getting, passing a screening test to be able to adopt a, a baby. <laughs> and the result is that babies uh, are, are killed in abortions who could be saved and should be saved. And what we need is to change the attitude of the bureaucrats who administer this. And extend subsidies to people who are generous enough to open their hearts and their homes to uh, b- babies who otherwise would be aborted. You take all these states that are so vigorously pro life like Texas. You know what Texas offers somebody who 's pregnant uh, somebody who decides to adopt a baby a thousand dollars in rots and rock <laughs> i mean well it 's only bad. the only enough to to pay for the expenses of the adoption oh. procedure. Mm. You know what New York State offers them? Squat, zero, nothing. The only state that offers real money for adoption is Florida, which offers the adoptive parent $5,000 a year until the child turns 18. And that's inadequate too, but at least it's something. Mm. What we need is to have national policies where we reward people for keeping babies alive and for offering them warm and loving homes and bringing them up that way. And where science researches how to make l- babies viable earlier in the pregnancy uh, so that the an, a mother facing the, ch- the necessity of, or the choice of an abortion doesn't have to spare the baby to term uh, or kill it. Uh, there's another way. You can keep the baby alive you can get it out of your body. You don't have to go through childbirth. You don't have to go around and be pregnant with whatever social stigma that has. And uh, and you can go ahead and have the baby grow up and in good conscience become a productive member of society. So there is this alternative here, and it doesn't cost much, and it's, uh, and it's easily within the reach of science. And we ought to get our head out of the ground and really wrap our brain around that solution. But it's so much better to pick it and to demonstrate and to raise hell, and for politicians, so much better to get a block vote on the left or the right over this issue. Uh, but it's not properly serving our country. Well,
0: Dick, you had an idea about the money and, and the government giving money to.
1: Yeah, um, I'm saying that every parent that wants to adopt a child should get a subsidy. Of five worth so thousand dollars a year, on top of that, they get the child tax credit of thirty six hundred a year that is in the Biden bill that we mm. could pass for adoptions. And uh you're giving somebody, in effect, the pre-tax equivalent, the after-tax equivalent of $10,000 right. per child. beautiful. And that's pretty cool. That's yeah. enough to raise a child happy and healthy. and Help them out a little yeah. bit. Sure. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of children uh, who uh, will now not die uh, and will not be unwanted and will not come into families that hate them. And uh, we'll, and these are our kids. This is our country. This is our lifeblood. Let's go to George in Rockland County. Hey, George.
2: Hi. How are you doing? Uh, so uh, it's very interesting uh, about abortion, okay? Uh, but before I go to my po- – uh, well, okay. My point was as far as uh, Donald Trump, okay? I believe – I actually am independent, okay? I first didn't really think much about him. But uh, it was between him and Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton, as far as I care, was a disaster.
1: So what do you think now?
2: He was my choice. If he was running, I mean, there's no question, definitely him. But not really, uh, but things change. Like, when he was uh, as a president, okay, I think he was doing really good, okay? And I attribute it. To both of him, to uh, Trump and to Pence, I think they completed one each other. Yeah. And really, the reason for it is because their executive background. Okay, yep. I think when you look on past presidents, most of them are successful because they had executive experience. Yep. I'm running time, out
1: of time, George. So is there another point you'd like to make?
2: Okay, uh, regarding uh, the abortion things here. Okay, okay. Uh, I hear what you're saying. Okay. But I don't think it's a good idea to put money with people, okay, meaning babies, okay? I feel people, if you start paying for it, okay, you fall into the trap of welfare. A lot of people have children because of the money. I I should have mentioned that that, that,
1: that this would be limited to one per customer. You can't do this again and again. Uh, and uh, if it's one per customer, what's the matter with spending money on children, on young children? Uh, we care about we care about life. We care about the fetus. We care about the unborn. But when they're born, we lose interest in them. And uh, you know, you're on your own. That's a rock, and that's lousy public policy. And it, it's inhumane because it leads to disastrous outcomes for many, many children. So we've had a good show today. I've enjoyed it. We've talked here about, we began by talking about this bre- break, groundbreaking study that I did with John McLaughlin, the pollster from, who worked for Trump, where we surveyed a thousand black voters in the country. And we found that a majority of them felt taken for granted by the Democratic Party. And they felt that the Democratic Party is not spending much attention on their needs. But more importantly... of the black voters agreed, agreed with the following statement. Too many leaders of the black community emphasize how blacks are the victims of racism and inequality rather than focus on the very real opportunities for advancement that are available to black people. So get out of this victimization bit. Get into uh, understanding you live in America. And 48%, said the Democrats want to keep black people poor, dependent on government, and united as a bloc to help them win elections. And it says that with those findings, we have a real chance at getting 25% of the black vote, doubling our current vote share. Thanks for watching.